Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Surviving My Podcast. A survivor podcast about living with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. Join me as we heal together, raise awareness, and inspire everyone to survive, thrive, and conquer their past. Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Surviving My Podcast. My name is Matt. I'm your humble host here for another episode of the show, and I'm super stoked to have you here with me as always. If you are a first-time listener, thanks so much. I'm so glad you found the podcast, and my hope is that you'll find it validating, encouraging, and informative. And if you are a returning listener, you guys rock. You're amazing. Thanks so much for the support, the encouragement, all the positive feedback. It means the world to me that you all listen and spread the word and check back on a regular basis and, and send me show suggestions and topic information and all kinds of great stuff. So, yes, welcome back to First Times and Long Times. I am super stoked to talk to a very special guest today uh, who I recently connected with, and we're going to help get her story out here on Surviving My Past, Nikki Dubose. Nikki is a model, author, and advocate. She's the board president of Peaceful Hearts Foundation, based right out of uh, Central PA, where I am, which is awesome. And she's also an ambassador for the Shaw Mind Foundation. And her book, uh, which came out in the fall of last year, Washed Away from Darkness to Light, um, is available now. And it's a great read. I'm actually in the middle of reading it right now. So, Nikki, thanks so much for joining me today and helping to get your message out. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's it's Monday. It's the beginning of the, of the week. And, um, you know, I have a positive outlook on this week. I believe that it's going to be the best week ever. So how about that? That is the best way I've ever heard anybody say that a Monday <laughs> is going to go. Like, I'm, I'm already excited because I know sometimes on Mondays, um, I try and do podcasts and do a lot of things that I can on Monday. So I try and embrace them. But that by far your description and outlook is the best I've ever heard. So <laughs> I'm, I'm already excited for a week and it's barely even started. Yeah, we got we got to keep our minds positive. I actually listened to well, I've listened to Joel Austin for years, but <clears throat> you know, my mind, I, I was diagnosed with depression a couple and I, I mean I actually hate saying that because I kind of feel I mean, even though I'm a mental health advocate, whatever that means, I mean, you know, I, I know what that means, but it's kind of like I hate labels, so um, but like I, I, I think that um even even although it's good for educational purposes to say I have depression and but it's sometimes I think like talking about it kind of <clears throat> can sometimes be bad uh, in the way that it, it can make me feel like I'm stuck in a box, you know. Um, but listening to Joel, to Joel Austin uh, really helps me because he's so positive and it's like no matter what you're going through, you know that every day is a new day, no matter if it's Monday or the middle of the week uh, and that you know that it can be the best day ever. So that's one person that has really helped to shape my mind um, and kind of get me out of that mental health funk to really kind of rise above that um, 
And it's hard for a lot of people, I think, to understand, especially the mental health community, because we kind of want to stay within our boundaries and stay stuck, um, you know, and, and, and think that we are just what we have. But it's definitely not true. You know, we could definitely rise way above that and go on to live a happy and healthy life. So I just want to say today can be the best day ever. And this week is going to be the best week ever. That is such a great way to look at it. And I know it's interesting how so many of us have different things that we look to for positive encouragement, be it speakers or, um, you know, other advocates or authors or people who we just admire for, for any, any particular reason. Um, I've listened to Joel Olstein a lot as well. So I actually can relate to that. Um, and it's great that we have ways to really kind of help us embrace um, that today can be a great day, that the upcoming week can be a great week. Even on our best days, you know, as mental health advocates, as survivors of abuse, no matter how much you want to try and embrace something, sometimes it's a little hard. So having um, an inspiration, you know, so to speak, just really, really helps. So I love it. And uh, we're going to cover that. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, some of your past stories and abuse survivor, uh, some of the advocacy uh, work that you're doing. Also talk a little bit about childhood sexual abuse and the effects on mental health. So let's kind of jump right into it. And for those who maybe aren't as familiar with you um, and your story, go ahead and share as much as you like about uh, your survivor story. And uh, we'll kind of go from there. Okay. Well, um, I'm a, I'm a Southern girl. Um, I'm originally from Charleston, South Carolina. And um, back in the eighties, there wasn't a lot of laws. I mean, really, even now there still aren't uh, I would, I would, well, it's changed a bit, but, but back in those days, there weren't adequate laws, you know, protecting, uh, abuse and being able to report, you know, but, but the point is, is that when you're a kid and there's domestic violence, like what's going on in my house, um, and, uh, emotional abuse, physical abuse, it really changes your perspective as a kid. Um, my mother got divorced and then remarried very young. She was only 19. Um, and she got remarried to a man who was in his thirties. So that really, you know, anytime a woman does that, I think it's, they're either getting remarried for money, you know, or protection. Um, and so there was this whole domestic violence situation going on and I kind of came the focus of all that. And so I went through abuse very, very young, like four years old, uh, and it just continued. And, um, at age eight, I was sexually abused by a male figure. And my mother, she had developing mental health issues um, like bipolar and dissociative identity disorder, um, which used to be called multiple personality disorder. So although I really, really, really admired and loved my mother, um, because you know, oftentimes young girls look up to their mother, um, it, it, it created this another strange dynamic where I never knew um, what the next day was going to be like with her, you know, because sometimes she was extremely caring and sometimes she was, she seemed like, actually she seemed like a monster to me on, on some days. Um, so I, I never knew, you know, if I was doing something right to please, um, to please my parents or if I was doing something wrong. And um, so I, I became an extreme introvert and uh, it, it got to the point where I, I think my mother became very broken down by the domestic violence 
um, in our house and eventually she began to abuse me as well, um, which did lead to sexual abuse. And so often when I say that to people, they really have a hard time or they're very shocked, you know, understanding how my mother or a mother, you know, could have done that. But it's much more common than we realize. And um, that continued on, I would say, from the ages of 9 to 13. And a lot of other very strange things were going on in our house. You know, there were young boys coming over. Um, there was prostitution. Um, I, I was kind of in, uh, being fed into this whole thing of, you know, talking to grown men on the Internet and... Um, which created a sexual addiction for me at 13 years old. And still to this day, even though I've been through, let's see, years of, you know, therapy, I would say that the sexual trauma has had the greatest impact on my life. So I got thrown into basically a whirlwind of sexual abuse and, you know, never saw that coming. And from the outside, nobody knew that because we went to a private school a Christian school. I was an, an A student, an overachiever. Um, my brother was as well. And, you know, we were in the choir. I sing in a choir that traveled around. We competed. Um, so we looked like the poster child, the poster children for, you know, the perfect family. But as we know, a lot of times people who are abusers, they're very good at grooming um, and they're very good at hiding things. Because of the fact that my mother had mental illness, it's it's been so hard to understand, you know, why she did the things she did. Um, if it was due to her mental illness, or if she was, if she knew what she was doing. So I, I think that the feeling of needing to please, not feeling like I was good enough, kind of led me into this space where I, I wanted to be good enough. For everybody you know I wanted to be good enough uh, especially for my parents and I eventually um, went to this modeling school uh, which I've heard jokes from people who said that modeling school are for people who uh, are not good enough to be models but you know so I went to this modeling school and I went there because I wanted to be I wanted to please my parents um, and so now when I talk to young girls and guys I ask them why are you getting into modeling? It's what is your motivation? And to parents, why are you pushing your children, you know, in, into this business? Is it because you're trying to please your ego? You know, um, because this is a very tough, tough, tough business. So I went into that business and from the very first time, the very first class, if, if you will, where they teach you how to walk down a runway, because um, I was an extremely awkward child. I didn't know how to walk down a runway. I was fat shamed and bullied. The teacher actually lifted up my shirt and she said in front of all the other girls, you know, why is your body like this? You need to go home and you need to do exercises and you need to lose weight. And just to preface, um, when I was eight years old, after the abuse uh, began, I developed an eating disorder, which lasted for over 17 years. So I was already dealing with the BDD and the bulimia. 
so I left the modeling. I didn't want to be a model anymore after that. However, the interesting thing is, is that after that, I found myself still becoming attracted to people, places, and things who were psychologically damaging, like the relationship that I had with my mother and stepfather, which included later on in my, uh, when I was 19, 20, 21, letting photographers off Craig, on Craigslist actually take naked pictures of me, of my body parts, paying me like $200, and then actually later on getting into getting into the real modeling industry, signing a huge contract with one of the best agencies in the world. But I had such low self-esteem from my environment, from you know being in an abusive uh, household, that I had no direction. You know, I had no understanding of my real worth. So I kind of lost, I mean, I really, really lost myself. During those years, my teenage years, I developed an addiction to drugs, to alcohol. I was removed uh, from my household by the police. You know, normally there's there's a situation where CPS comes in or the police comes in, and that's what happened to me uh, at 13. So when that happened, I just really buried my feelings more in my eating disorder, going out and drinking. I was already actually used to drinking with my mom in the bars at 13. And um, my mother and I, our, our relationship became extremely strained after that. She was committed to a mental institution um, for trying to commit suicide a couple of times. So. From that point on, from 13 on, I decided that I was going to take care of myself. You know, that that no one was going to tell me what to do or how to live. And so that impacted the relationship with my father, my biological father and I, uh, really in a, in a big way because he's a very loving person. But I became extremely stoic, you know, and very a very hard person to reach. So abuse affects people in so many ways, uh, pretty much in every single area of our lives. But for some reason, I think we, people who have gone through abuse, they do not get the compassion or the understanding. We don't take the time to really understand them like we should, you know, because like I said, abuse affects us in every single area of our lives. It affects our ability to learn, it affects our ability to work, it affects our ability to to relate to people, to go through life um, in a normal way, you know. And um, when I when I did finally get through to to being a model, um, I saw that abuse, that that trauma uh, affecting me in the way that I thought that the only way that I could um, relate to people and advance in my career was by sleeping with, you know, my, my boss, by acting very sexual in pictures, you know, by, by showing my body and things like that. And that's not really me. You know, the person who I am now being, uh, through recovery and being a healthy person, that's not really who I am. But that person that was working as a model then, I really thought that that was that that was the best way to be so 
it's you know it's a lot to to put out there. It's a lot to tell people, but there are so many there there are actually so many young girls、um, and guys going through that right now, especially with social media, you know, and, and modeling becoming this explosion on social media. I go through and see just you know thousands upon thousands of girls showing their bodies, and there's nothing wrong with showing your body, but you can kind of tell when someone is. Not feeling、um, that they have any other alternative, or you know, not feeling like they are good enough on the inside, and you know that used to be me. It got to a point in my life where I couldn't handle myself anymore.、Um, I couldn't handle the drugs. I couldn't handle the alcohol. I used to do so many drugs when I was modeling, and I was making a lot of money. I eventually went overseas、um, and modeled everywhere in the Middle East,、um, in Europe. I lived in France, in Spain, in Germany, everywhere. You know, I I really had all the things that I thought that I wanted, and I had people feeding my ego. You know, I was in Vogue, I was in Vanity Fair, all these things, these titles that give that that feed our ego. Um, but I was extremely unhappy on the inside because I had to literally change every single thing about myself. I had to lose so much weight just to make other people happy and to be in magazines, you know, to be in certain magazines and to be in certain campaigns. And most of the time, it was either the response was "You look amazing" or, you know, "Can you do better?" So. That kind of response was the same as my childhood. You know, you're you're doing great, or can you do better? It was never you're good enough the way you are, and and that kind of lifestyle was really it was actually killing me because I had anorexia, and because even when I had anorexia and I was down to a very 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 low weight,、um, you know, I was underweight. I was still throwing up. I was still doing things that、um, were dangerous, extremely dangerous for my health. And so, I had no love for myself. My mother, I would say, at the height of my modeling career、um, in Europe, was extremely sick with her alcoholism because she had been an alcoholic for as long as I can remember, for years and years. And、um, I tried to help my mother. My brother and I tried to help her, but she—I'm not sure if you're very familiar with, you know, alcoholism. But it's unless you can take the responsibility to want to get help, it's not going to work. And and she wasn't she wasn't able to take responsibility. We did, however, get her into treatment. She was in there for 60 days, and then she just decided one day she didn't want to be there anymore. She disappeared for two weeks with a guy she was dating, who was also a, a violent person, and、um, then she died. So she died in a、uh, in a car accident due to alcohol. And I think that when my mother died, it was the major turning point for me. And you know, because I had I had tried to get help before. I'd been to a rehab before. My agency in New York had told me you are very sick. <laughs> you know you can't work unless you get help. But when that happened, when I saw my mother literally in the casket and everything, I had to make the decision 
to get help because my mother and I, we were extremely similar, uh, you know, genetically and just how we reacted to our environment and, and things like that. And um, that was it for me. I left the modeling business, haven't been modeling since 2012. And um, that was so hard because by nature, I'm a person who has a big ego. <laughs> and, you know, I, I wanted to model so bad. I wanted to be that big star so bad, you know, and to leave all that behind and to, to understand that I had to work on myself a lot. You know, I had to let God inside of me and to, to fulfill a bigger purpose that wasn't of Hollywood, uh, it saved my life, you know, and unfortunately my mom had to, had to die for that to happen. That's not going to happen for everybody, you know? Uh, but sometimes in life we, we do have those rock bottom moments that kind of shake us up and for everyone that's going to be a different, you know, moment. But, but I do like to say that my mother's death was the turning point in my life that made me leave the, the, the things, the people, the places that were not healthy for me and take the steps necessary to, to really self-seek, to get help for my eating disorder, the trauma, you know, on and on. And since then it has, I mean, it's shaped a completely different path for me. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell I mean it's a whole there's many twists and turns and, and things to talk about but it's you know that's kind of it right there and, and that that's what my memoir washed away from darkness to light is about pretty much to listen to your story um, to be able to hear what you've been through uh, it's heartwarming it's it's saddening for what you've been through but it's also inspiring so much that you've been able to really um, become so involved in so many um, ways of advocacy now to help people who have been where you are. And what I was saying to myself when you were talking was her story is so much like mine in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, the abuse had, you know, the abuse started around age eight. Mine was between five and 10. Um, it was, it was at the hands of a male figure. So it was mine um, being a people pleaser, being introverted, I mean, even even going down as much as um, as much as being um, bullied and going to a Christian school. I mean, I went to a Christian school. I I sang in the choir, and I was thinking to myself, it's amazing when you talk to survivors from all walks of life, from all over the world, how similar our stories can be. And I'm thinking to myself, except for the modeling part, you and I have very similar stories in very similar ways, and it's just incredible and it's validating to hear somebody talk about what you've been through because it just, you know, for as traumatic and horrific as it was, it's just when you hear somebody who reaffirms, you know, what you remember and what you believe to be true and believe what happened, it just, it's almost encouraging in a way and just helps you really stand by your convictions of being an advocate. So do you find in your, in your interactions with people now that that is similar as well with so many people having a similar background or in like a similar survivor story uh, that you do? Absolutely. And I just want to acknowledge and thank you for being so courageous and so brave, you know, and sharing your story. And I'm really sorry um, that that's happened to you. And I want you to know that you're not alone. 
you know, in our foundation, Peaceful Hearts Foundation, we're available for you and for everyone uh, who has gone through any sort of uh, sexual abuse uh, and assault at peacefulheartsfoundation.org. You're not alone. You and, and the thing is, is that when you go through that, especially because you're a child, you feel alone. You don't understand anything that's happening to you. The thing is, first, I, I think you don't understand what's happening to you. And then when everything kind of bubbles up to the surface, you're like, oh, my God, what what is, you know, what happened to me? Um, I think we think what's wrong with me, you know. Um, however, statistically, in the United States, there are about 43 million survivors of child sexual abuse. So take comfort in that and knowing that you're definitely not alone. Um, it is it is interesting the similarities. Why personally why I think that is is um well I, I think there's all different types of stories, you know, but but the we find similar commonalities, you know, um and, and the thread of what all bonds us together. Um I think one of that has to do with um First of all, we know that 90% of children, 90% of the time, they know and they trust their abusers. Um, and, and abusers, they're often family members, babysitters, nannies, their moms, their dads. Um, male survivors, which the executive director of our Foundation, Matthew Sandusky, you know, he, he talks about his story with, you know, who he was abused by a man. So although we might feel alone and feel like, oh, well, I was abused by a man, that's not going to happen to anyone else. It's very common. It's the shame factor that society brings and the feeling of fear that keeps us a lot of times quiet, that feeling like we can't talk about this. But my God, I mean, you know, once I do start talking to people and, and you know, um, like, for example, volunteers within our organization or just sharing my story, then the statistically it's one in four and, and one in four girls and one in six uh, men who have been abused. And then so what that actually relays out to being is that pretty much um, every single day you are meeting people who have been sexually abused. You're not going to know that, but that's how it uh, equates to. So once you start talking to people and sharing, you will you will definitely hear a story of another survivor. Um, but it's the shame in society. It's the fear in society that keeps us quiet. But trust me, there are people around you, even, you know, as you go out today, who have um, similar stories. Abusers are good at grooming, you know, they are good at putting themselves in positions where they uh, are close to, to children so that they can do what, what they do. Um, and they're very, they, they tend to be, if you look at the profiling of um, what I, I'm studying psychology and I have a very strong interest in criminal psychology. so. I tend to, you know, analyze a lot. I know that they um, tend to be very good at uh, really, I'm sorry, Matt, I kind of have a little blub here. 
That's okay. I get it all the time. <laughs> I, I don't know what happened there. I don't know what I was going to say. Oh, so, okay. So we know that with uh, abusers, they're, they're very good at um, making everything look perfect. You know, this is why we, we hear a lot um, that priests are, you know, priests abuse, that um, teachers abuse. And we think, how did that happen? You know, how do people not know? Because they serve in public places. And it's because they position themselves in these sort of high-ranking places. And they, they are calculating, they are manipulative, and, and they very much know what they're doing. Um, pedophilia is actually in the DSM-5 as a psychological uh, uh, psychiatric disorder and um, so although it is a mental illness you have to understand that these are people at times who can be very manipulative and, and cold-minded it's you know it's, it's hard when we it's hard as a survivor when we are raised by them when they are our fathers when they are our mothers um, when they are people who have been guardians such as nannies Babysitters, aunts, uncles, you know, friends, uh, maybe they're a sibling. It's very hard to kind of come at a point and say, you know, how did this happen? I just don't understand. And sometimes we tend to blame ourselves. You know, we think, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? But it's never our fault, you know, that someone abused us. Um, and I had to get to the place, you know, in sharing my own story. I, I think that once I, when I did leave the modeling industry and um, I, I just, at the time I had a very supportive, there was a first, it's really been the only and the first loving healing relationship that I had. And we did end up getting married. Uh, we are going through a divorce, but it's a friendly divorce. Um, but um, I, I did have a very healing relationship with someone and that greatly helped me because when I did leave the modeling industry, I had a loving family, you know, my in-laws who were, who let me just kind of heal and take the time away from work. And, uh, you know, that's not going to happen for everyone. Um, so when I left modeling, I stayed at home, you know, I got a mentor I, who worked actually through um, what's called the Life Recovery Bible and Workbook, which is a spiritual-based program on the, based on the 12 steps. And I had to go through eating disorder recovery, and that's when I learned about my trauma and the things that had happened to me. Um, and so I had to go through a forgiveness process where I... I actually wrote letters, even though my mother was passed, you know, she had passed away. I, I mean, and, and I'm talking about things that took, you know, a couple of years here. And for everyone, it might, they might never get to this point. Or they might decide, people decide not to forgive because it's the, for their own reason. But for what personally I did, just to share, is that I, for me, I had to, I felt like I needed to do that. I needed to forgive my mother because the pain of, the pain that I was feeling was so great that forgiveness was forgiveness um it was a gift not only 
I felt like for our relationship that her and I had, you know, my mom was dead. <laughs> and um, bless her heart. I mean, I, I realized that people have things happen to them. And I didn't know why she did what she did. And I realized also that it wasn't my job to understand why she did what she did. I'm a very analytical person, like I previously mentioned, and I will, if you give me a something, I will analyze it to death, you know, but that, that analyzing uh, was killing me. So I had to forgive and let go. And that helped me so much. It took it off my shoulders and I gave it to God. My relationship with God in an intimate way grew tremendously. And that helped me to heal so much of that pain that I was carrying around. You know, it allowed me to move forward in my life because I wasn't moving forward. You know, I was going backwards. I was throwing up almost every day. I was starving myself. You know, I was, I mean, a few years before that, I was doing drugs all the time. You know, I was drinking all the time. Um, I was sleeping with a bunch of different people you know I would I was doing things that that weren't allowing me to move forward in my life in a healthy way so not that I'm perfect now but truly when I allowed myself to to write letters to people to actually call up people that I had grudges against and you know as in the 12th step as, as this process is it really helped me to move forward and it gave me a guidance a, a structured way of living so that when I see things that in my life that aren't working the way that, that they that they need to be working, I know how to um, how to correct them. you know because like I said, sexual abuse is so shaming and damaging that we don't we don't have a correct way to live life. When you have a mother and a father, um, who who love you in a healthy way, who who guide your life, you know, help to give you guidance. Things are things are good. Things are much better. Um, when you don't have that, you don't have any guidance. So for me, having that twelve step guide, um, that life recovery bible, has in my has allowed me to have not only a relationship with God, um, but it has given me a guidance, a way to to move forward in my life. Nikki, you are such a kindred spirit. Just listening to you talk and share and just be so passionate about where you've been, where you're going, being able to help and, and advocate for others. And, you know, something else that um, stuck out when, when you were talking was just you were so right. The, the self-shame, the self-blame that we as survivors feel and we inflict on ourselves because, you know, it had to be our fault. We had to do something wrong. We had to incite this or ask for it or you know we had to to do something that you know we shouldn't have done and then we shame ourselves for it and you're right um i think that's the biggest thing the biggest message that we can share is that survivors it's never their fault you know it's never your fault that you were abused that you were subject to trauma as a child or whenever it may have happened and just to know that that you're not alone and that it wasn't your fault and that there are advocates, um, you know, like you out here who are helping to raise awareness and talk with people and share resources and just 
it's an amazing, encouraging thing to just talk with someone like you, who I said, it's like the word that comes to mind is just kindred spirit for survivors. And I think it's just, you're so relatable. Uh, your story is just down to earth. It's raw. It's open. You know, you're not afraid to share where you've been. You're excited for where you're going. And I mean, I would love to do more of these podcasts with you and kind of dive into some some of the specific parts of, you know, the eating disorders and recovery and, and you know, the forgiveness and writing letters. So we can talk about that at, at another time. But um, I want to start to wrap it up because I, I, I want to respect your time. So share a little bit about Peaceful Hearts Foundation and, and your role there, because it's such an amazing um, organization. So Peaceful Hearts Foundation, um, we are a young foundation and... Uh, it was founded by Matt Sandusky and his wife, Kim. Uh, Matt's over there at State College, Pennsylvania. And, you know, really just, he started that foundation out of his own pain, you know, out of his own surviving. And we are expanding rapidly. Um, we're looking for people to to help out. So actually we're looking for people to help out right now with social media, um, public relations, a lot of things. Um, so if anyone's interested, you can email me at Nikki at Nikki I am the new board president of the foundation. Um, so I like to joke that I'm Matt's boss. Um, I don't know how that happened, but we have a really dynamic group of, of new board members that came on from Jim Clemente, who used to work at the FBI and, in rights for criminal minds, um, you know, to, to people who are, are heading up some CAC centers. So we, we've got a, we've got a very big, um, we've got a lot of big plans for the foundation and, uh, I'm excited because, you know, we, one of the, uh, bills that we are advocating for is S-809, the, uh, Child Victims Act, and that seeks to eliminate the statute of limitations for children who have been abused in the state of New York. So that's something I've been working very hard on. Um, if you'd like to learn more about that in ways that you can help end um, child sexual abuse in New York, you can go to protectnewyorkkids.org. Um, if you need any help at all for child sexual abuse, if you're a survivor, please visit our website at peacefulheartsfoundation.org and we'll be glad to help you. Nikki, thank you so much. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure to to learn more about you, to hear your story, to hear your passion for survivors. And um, I'm I'm just amazed. I'm humbled. Um, I'm honored to know you. And, um, you know, it's just thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. And I would definitely look forward to doing some more uh, podcasts in the future and really diving in to, um, you know, some um, specific acts, um, uh, aspects of recovery and survivorship and advocacy and just everything that you're about. So thank you so much again. I appreciate uh, you sharing some of your time with, with myself and the listeners. It's been an extreme honor and I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Matt, and look forward to a wonderful week ahead. Absolutely. You too. And that's it, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I've been talking to Nikki Dubose. You can check her out at NikkiDubose.com. Check out all the resources at PeacefulHeartsFoundation.org. And always know, above all else, that you are never alone. Thanks again for listening to Surviving My Podcast, sponsored by SurvivingMyPast.net, a blog about my life with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD, and in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. This podcast or any resources sponsored by survivingmypast.net should not be considered as therapy or professional medical help. 
If you are in crisis, I encourage you to seek out the services of a mental health or physical health professional. I also encourage you to check out online crisis support from sites like RAIN.org, OneIn6.org, and The Samaritans. If you would like to be a guest on a future podcast, just contact me anytime through email, matt at survivingmypast.net, or use the contact forms on the blog. Thank you again for your support and encouragement, and always know that you rock. Talk to you soon.